Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning on the third verse. Glory to Christ our Savior. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to verse 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Please be seated. In 1936, this uh, current church called Church of the Beatitudes was built in 1936 uh, on a hill above the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was designed intentionally in this way, especially the interior of the structure, which is this. And the church essentially is structured in a circular shape is to proclaim a message that living the beatitude is an ongoing, never-ending ever-deepening cycle. So the Church of the Beatitude is a constant reminder for worshippers there that there is no end of the journey for those who are cultivating and deepening their character in the fashion of the Beatitudes. And of course, this church is more than just a church. It's also a church to remind the worshippers and as they go out to the church to serve the world, they go out to serve in deeds of service. And why is this so important? Because structurally, there is a line of understanding that Christian character never stops. There's never a point that we arrived. There's never a point where we say, I've done what I need to do. I've done and I've achieved what I need to achieve. In Christian character and formation, there is no end of the journey on this side of eternity. And what applies is particularly about this person whom you will see in the next slide, you probably have actually read about him, heard about him recently in the Straits Times. Uh, his name is uh, Kok Liang, as you can see the name, and he's known to us in my center as Kok Liang. And he was featured in the papers recently about how he recovered from the condition of uh, schizophrenia. He's a 47-year-old man. He was once a property agent and for some years. However, back in 2009, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And what he experienced at the time was this loud, blaring, tortured scream of a woman along his corridor. And this screaming would get louder and louder and louder and he will be so deafened by the noise 
and a torturous scream that he would often call the police for the police to come and intervene. Or sometimes he would just run upstairs to his neighbors or downstairs to his neighbors and to ask them to stop torturing the woman. And when he finally was diagnosed with cystrophenia, he was very depressed. He felt very hopeless and he never imagined how he could ever recover from his mental illness. And at the time when he was sick, I was already at the center and I knew him as a patient. And uh, we supported him, we helped him walk this tough and difficult journey that he have had to take by himself. And he was upset, he was depressed, and he would, pro he would rather sleep all day and just wake up just for his meals and then back to his bed again. And that was how he was like for quite a long time, I remember. But as he progresses on at CMEI, with the support, with the counseling, with the treatment plan, he began to discover that he needed to make his life count. He began to observe other fellow patients at the center, how they began to make sense of what is happening to them. Some of them, the Christian faith, some of them finding new hope, new vision, new goals in life. And he made that difficult choice and decided after that period of treatment that he would make meaning of his own life. And he did. And today, when I first knew him, he was my patient, or one of my patients, and with a team of people helping him. But now, he's actually my colleague at the center. So he sits with me and with other of staff members to help the current patients to recover. He's a program assistant, and pastoral care services depend on him a lot to liaise and coordinate the voluntary programs that are running in our center. And today, he's also a fully trained peer support specialist, meaning to help people who are recovering with his own personal story, how he struggled through and how he made it at the end. And he's also an Anglican, worshipping in a local Anglican church, and he was confirmed and baptized by one of our local bishops, and he regularly assists me and continue to participate in the life of the church in a very active way. And to me, when I look at his life, when he was down at the bottom to what he is today, I could see in summary form how he actually made it through because of his faith. And to me, uh, God Liang himself exhibited the Beatitudes in his recovery journey. And with that in mind, I want to ask three guiding questions. First of all is, what is, how is beatitude related to mental health? Secondly, what can the church offer to persons with mental health challenges? And thirdly, how might a church look like that is mentally, a mental health equipped? Let us look at this uh, in turn. First, how is Beatitudes related to mental health? More, we talk about the good life that God Liang has now continued to live. It is also critical for us to remember that the list of Beatitudes right here, the two uh, lists there, is not a bed of roses. 
when Matthew wrote Matthew 5, he was actually writing to encourage the Christians then to remain strong in their faith in the midst of persecution, both politically and religiously. It was a hard time. They were living in an imperial age that prizes power, wealth, and status. And Matthew t tells them, the Christians, that their value in them is not power, wealth, and status, but rather God's favor is found among the poor and the powerless. And that's extremely counter-cultural. It goes against the grain of the imperial world at that time. And I don't think it's very different as compared today in Singapore, let's just say, where things are priced or valued because you have money, you're powerful, and you are of a high social standing. It's not what you know, is who you know, as the saying always goes. And it's not difficult for us, isn't it, to sympathize with people who suffer mental health problems because they do face social discrimination. They encounter stigma time and again. And in almost all areas of their life, they are constantly impacted. And so I don't think Matthew 5, though it's written many, many hundreds of years ago, is any different to our society today where the very thing that they worship at that time is also what we're worshiping today. And therefore, it is very challenging for the Christians to live a life that is counter-cultural to the dominant themes of our society today. And yet, it is something that we need to learn, we need to do, we need to grow, and we need to cultivate. Because Matthew says that the first three Beatitudes is that of being poor, being in tears, and being humble or meek. They are the ones that will find favor with God. These are the conditions of the heart that are counter-cultural in our society. But they are crucially vital if we are to live our life the Christian way, the God way. When we begin each time we have our services on Sundays, is this broken and contrite heart, this sense of brokenness before God, is that poverty, is that tearful repentance, is that humility before the Almighty God. Psalm 51 verse 17 reads, that a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God Liang was down and out, witnessed it, was painful for him, and he was almost at the point of giving up. But he hung on there because of his faith. And the other five Beatitudes on the right has a more leaning towards social influence of our Christian faith. He's talking about thirsting for righteousness, being merciful to others, having the purity of heart, being a peacemaker. And all these things sound so good that people will love us for all these characters. And yet, soon after that, Jesus said, 
we will be persecuted precisely for those very reasons. Name-calling, rumours, social, uh, antagonising. And these are unavoidable, inevitable costs of following our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are speaking God's word to the powerful elite in our society. And they are challenged. And therefore, for someone who are in that situation, we find ourselves unable to help them because they also feel very powerless. And yet, this is precisely the place where God's favour will fall richly upon them. And the church is one such place, one such environment of acceptance and love. Because all these beatitudes that you just see in front of you or in the Bible is to be made flesh in the life of you and me. It has to be enfleshed in the Christians, not just concepts and ideas and even ideals of the Christian life. No Christians can ever embody all this without actually living it out. We can pay a cent that we believe in all this as we do with the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. We give mental assent to it and we agree with all those creeds. And that is good. But however, you realize that all these are cultivation of inner virtues rather than simply obeying the commandments of God. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think obey the Father? The one who say, no, 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 I won't do what you say. But then he later went and do it. Or the one who say, I will do it, but actually he didn't do it. So who is the person who actually ultimately did it? It's actually the one who actually in fact in the end did it even though he initially refused to do so. So there is this inner conviction, this inner change of heart, this inner virtues, which are the Beatitudes that enable us to be transformed by it, not simply conform to the law. Paul uh, reminded Timothy, some people have the form of godliness, but do not know the power thereof. And power comes from within a person. The host is Jesus Christ through his spirit. So we don't so much conform to the laws of do's and don'ts, but we are transformed by it. Not an outward form, but an inward reality, living the Christ life in our life. So our spiritual life is our mental life. It is not to be separated. Because implicitly in these Beatitudes, there is this great interest in the mental and social health of human flourishing and virtuous living. We must not see all this as very negative, as the world will see it, that these are weaklings. These are people who are powerless. They are the ones that are quite useless. And that's how people who suffer mental health problems actually experience society by and large. There is a negative impact they experience constantly. And yet, Jesus is using precisely 
such weaknesses that we observe in people with mental issues to actually become robust in a flourishing and virtuous living. It is about their heart in this vertical relationship with God, a heart of charity in their horizontal relationship with fellow human beings and the wider creation. So this list of Beatitudes that you see here produces a good, abundant Christian life. So this Beatitude is character-forming. It emphasizes internal quality. It is about a way of being in the world, about being a certain kind of persons whose life is marked by such character that you have seen here in the Beatitudes. And as most English usually will translate the word in the Greek into the word blessed, as I read from Matthew chapter 5 just now. But it doesn't quite capture as fully as it should because we find that it is not just being happy. Some translation use the word happy. And the sort of happiness that is uh, translated today is too lighthearted. There is no serious weight to the happiness. Sometimes joy is being used, which is a much preferred word. But certainly, happiness doesn't quite capture enough this heart, this essence of these Beatitudes. Because this whole list of Beatitude is telling us that it is not so much the outward conformity, but actually it has to do with the mental and emotional health of each one of us. And if we're honest with ourselves before God, we will begin to discover that we too are very poor and very weak. And sometimes it takes crisis, unfortunately, to make us realize how vulnerable we were with the recent one, of course, the pandemic. So some examples from beyond the Beatitudes, you remember when Jesus said, you, know, you should not murder, you should not kill. And Jesus agrees with such teaching. But then Jesus went a bit deeper than that. He says, when you are angry with a brother or sister, you are just as good as killing that person. So it's from the heart, you see, that makes a huge difference. So this whole beatitude is at the very center, is this sense of wholeness, this consistency in our affection, our emotion, that makes it harmoniously as a person, that we are connected, that we are coherent, that we are not conflicted. We are able to hold our experience before God. And this is what this Beatitudes is really about. And as I say, it's not something we can do it in the flesh, but it will take many, many years, and I will say struggles and pain. And when I saw Kok Liang being so broken at the very start of his recovery journey, and seeing him who he is today, in fact, I just saw him this morning in the, in the office, so much joy and happiness, so much rootedness, steadiness about him. And I'm very proud of how God has changed and transformed him to be what he is today. Secondly, 
what can the church offer to persons with mental health challenges? I've listed four there and just want to go through them with you. Because as a church, we are different from the world. We are even different from CMA Care Centre or Haogang or wherever psychiatric rehab centres are found in Singapore. Because the first thing that comes to mind that the church gives to people who are suffering is that of hope. Hope is the energy that drives them on. They give them this engine, this power to want to recover from the mental illness. God Liang himself has had such a hope when you observe people, Christians in particular, recovering, enjoying, worshipping. He began to want to want that life and knew that he could be that person that he saw and that God could make him the person he wanted to be. The kind of hope that's presented in many of our psychiatric rehab, IMH, even psychiatry and all that, is also hopeful, but their attempt to give you hope is to reduce your symptoms, is to manage your illness. That's what they mean by hope. And it's not wrong. We should embrace that. We should encourage people who are not well to continue with the medication, to learn how to cope with their condition. We must continue to do that. But for Christians, it has to be more than just that. Because sometimes we try to control people who behave differently from us. And we try to restrict their movement by telling them this, that, and the other. So as churches encounter within our community people who are mentally distressed or affected, their hope as Christians is none other than in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope in Christ transcends the circumstances of life, sustains us when the world around us see our situation as simply hopeless. Secondly, that of a holistic approach. We not only give patients and clients medication, coping mechanism, psychoeducation and support. We want them to see that they are more than the label put on them. They are not depressed people. They are people with depression. Depression does not define them. You are a person with cancer. You are not a cancer person or cancer patient. You see how easily sometimes our words, while in all innocence, we don't mean to label them, but because the language that we speak is not respectful to the degree of how much more we do not know about this person, that God can potentially still work in his life, we were quite medical or we medicalize that condition. Did you take a medicine? Again, it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate concern, but it's more than just that. There are many aspects of our life that we want to also enjoy. So what I mean by holistic, I don't mean just the mental life. I also mean physical uh, needs, sleeping well, relaxation, nutrition, exercise. Mental health is, I think you know enough about stress management. Spiritual needs, church community, finding purpose, spiritual growth, living in a community of believers. Or relational needs, 
how is the relationship with your family, their friends, how they resolve conflict, how they overcome stigma, what are the opportunities for them to serve in the life of the church, and so on and so forth. So the Christian gospel has got this holistic view of human beings. When we are hearing these commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, I wonder if you ever thought that those are actually different aspects of a person's life. That we ought to love God in all this respect. These are the four or five aspects of our life we need to love God. And sometimes we may not love God enough in one or two aspects of our life. And then we need to do some work to love God in those aspects as well. Accessibility is the third one which I believe the church could offer. Because one of the biggest problems with our present system, I'm talking about society as a whole, is that generally churches are unable or not equipped sufficiently to actually be the front door as gatekeepers of the church for people who may enter into our community with mental illness. Uh, I preached in different churches, and there was one church I remember after preaching. There's a lady that just walked all the way to the back of the church, and I was leaving the church for another service that Sunday, and she stopped me. And I said, Could I, can I help you? And she said she has been suffering from anxiety disorder for quite some time. But she has been a regular worshipper in the church. And I asked her, did you share with your pastor? Did you share with whoever, the ministry staff? And she said she wouldn't because she was afraid that she may be further labored or be further sidelined. I'm not saying she's right, but there's this innate fear in people, especially mental illness. They find themselves very easily stigmatized by even people who are supposedly their fellow spiritual companions. And so it means that people who come, they can be in distress. And it's been helpful for ministry staff, pastors, to be able to tell, know the telltale signs of certain common mental challenges, depression, for example, anxiety, addiction is another one. It's very common in Singapore now. These are the three quite common uh, mental illnesses that we experience even in the life of the church. So basic helpful information would equip the church to be more open and more accessible and more ready at a minimal cost, but maximum accessibility. And finally, that of a supportive community. And this remains very, very important. They can feel very lonely. Our sister just now just shared about how sometimes there's children are no longer in Singapore and when they are ill, they have no one familiar no one that they love are nearby, and they're surrounded sometimes by medical staff. And it's very difficult for them when they're at their most vulnerable. All they see are not their loved ones, but rather medical doctors. And you can see how our emotion can become a medical issue. Actually, it is not a medical issue. It is more a relational issue. And we need to pay attention how we relate to a person who is old, who's elderly, who's mentally unwell. How do we relate with them? That is also very important and crucial. And thirdly, how might a church look like? So if you go to a church that I tell you, this church is mental health equipped for the task, what are some of the things you can begin to see and notice 
I'm not saying this, this church would have all these qualities and all this ministry. I'm just saying that these are some suggestions that could happen. And every church is different. The resources are also unique and limited. And therefore, I'm not saying that any church you go to, they must have all these. Otherwise, they are not a church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just going to suggest this to you. I'm just going to run through them fairly quickly. First of all, obviously, I've mentioned already, we should be educated. Ministry staff and uh, pastors, for example, I need to learn some basic signs and symptoms of mental illness so as to know how to help, how to spot and quickly intervene so that we can help a brother or sister who is in need. Secondly, collaborative professional relationship. We have Christian psychiatrists and Christian psychologists, Christian counsellors. We have many of them in Singapore today. And it's not difficult if we want to, to actually collaborate with a body, a centre, a Christian centre that provides such support. And you could refer properly, professionally to a mental health provider without being fear of passing the buck uh, to the another person. Oh, pastor doesn't want me anymore. Our pastor is passing the buck to... No, I'm not passing the buck to him. He just, he just left. So... This is how we can do. We can be better informed and able to spot, able to tell the signs and symptoms and quickly approach the person. And if we cannot help that person, please refer that person to a professional body with which you have collaboration. As a church, thirdly, is to educate and raise awareness. I mentioned with you a true story of how the lady after the church service felt very shamed very stigmatized uh, by uh, her pastor. And that was a huge barrier for her to overcome. And they need the church to be able to give care and to receive care. And it's the responsibility of the pastors and ministry staff to educate the congregation slowly but steadily that the church is a safe place. It's not a dangerous place. It's a safe place. Fourthly, pastoral care theme. Galatians 6 2, Paul tells us, bear with each other burdens or bear one another's burden. So, as Christians, we cannot bear all their burdens, but we can bear together with them their burdens, that companionship that we need to give to a person who is suffering. God Liang is one example. He actually accompanied a few of our current patients in our center in their journey towards full recovery. And we can do that as well in the life of a church to establish and develop a pastoral care team is capable, trained and able to deal with issues of that nature. And sometimes not necessarily just mental health issue. You can talk about people who are divorced, people who are just uh, beginning parenting. So for example, in the East, I know of two groups. One is uh, those who did not succeed in their suicide, uh, and now they're receiving care. And there's another group who actually had their loved ones die through suicide, and they're going through a lot of grief. So already in the East, I already know of two groups, Christian groups, with a trained facilitator to help them manage the pain, the grief, the anguish uh, of their loved ones, and even of their own wounds. But some of them, after they have attempted suicide, they didn't succeed in suicide, but they become uh, maimed. 
So it's very painful for them. And that life-changing injury will be with them for the rest of their life. And so they need a lot of support as they recover from the shock that they see after the attempted suicide was not completed. Fifthly, that of support groups. This is very similar to your cell groups. And you don't need that much resources. A few resources will do. And sometimes, I know one or two churches that allow some Christian mental health organization to use their church premise for a weekly uh, meeting. So that is to raise awareness in the community and also for that church members of that parish, they could also join this group so they can learn the ropes, if you like, that they can become better partners with people who are unwell mentally. And very quickly, our weekend ministry, which is what we are doing here. I think weekend ministry is important. It's a first step, not an easy step, but it's a first step to break the silence, to break a taboo subject, a subject that we normally don't want to talk about. It takes courage, it takes bravery to break the ice, to break the silence, to develop an environment like ours or other churches that you may know of, to promote hope, healing for people with mental illness. And I think Sunday or Saturday services is a great way to start, to pray in a general way, of course, without mentioning names or mental health condition. Sometimes we do have post-service prayer. They can also come forward for prayer as well. And finally, two more. Special population. I mentioned to you just now about one, two particular groups. They are now meeting in two different churches uh, for people who have attempted suicide but did not succeed and those who have lost their loved ones through suicide. And they're actually uh, done in uh, churches. I know of one group also for ex-prisoners ex who also are trying to accept the reality of what has happened to them after their crime was committed and paying the consequences for it. So these are very special population in our country and we need to have these special trained people to meet the needs of the special group of people. And finally, that of prevention. I think the best cure is prevention. Okay, we all know that. I don't think we can avoid the biological ability. Some of us can tahan stress so we don't break down so easily. But some of us have a lower threshold. We cannot tahan stress. It cracks us up very quickly. And, and that's where we cannot do anything. We're just wired that way. And therefore, our threshold is much lower. And when stress mounts up, we just get overwhelmed. If we do not uh, look after ourselves well enough, we can get into some serious trouble. I can just tell you a picture of a video that I saw. I mean, some of you may have seen it before, about this teacher was telling his students in his class, and he held up a glass of water and asked every single one of them, how heavy is this glass of water? How much water do you think it is in this glass? Oh, two ounces three ounces, four ounces, or maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how heavy, but I think it's about this much water. And then this lecturer told the students, it's actually, it's not so much the weight of the water. It's actually how long I'm holding on to this glass of water. If I hold it for a while, it doesn't matter if it's a one liter, it still doesn't matter. It's just going to bother me. 
if I carry this glass of water five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm beginning to feel the weight of the glass. Water is still the same, no change, but because I'm holding it for, it for so long, it's getting heavier and heavier, and I may even suffer from muscle strains and burn paralysis. And that's how mental health affects all of us. We have our own share of problems and challenges. We all do. But how long are we going to hold it on will depend on the support we can get in the community among our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is, to me, the best prevention from us lapsing into mental health challenge. So in conclusion, let me just summarize by saying that I've talked about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. I share with you how these are inner qualities that need to be cultivated. And these blessed virtues are something we should uh, exemplify. Like I share with you how Kok Liang in his life have exemplified some of these qualities. And I praise God for how God has changed him. And also to help each one of us to remember those around us who are in need, even if yourself, while listening to this talk, do have these mental health challenges you, you encounter, do come and speak to, to one of us so we can at least have a conversation open and begin to talk about it. And I share also how the church, or churches, not only about this church, any church in Singapore, to help facilitate, enhance, and promote pastoral care to people with mental health challenges. And this is what I encourage all of us to do in this mission month. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for this uh, sharing, a little bit lengthy, I must say, but I pray that um, despite the um, topic, it's not an easy one, it's a taboo subject, but I pray that you would help us by your spirit and to teach us your ways. For we pray all this in our Son's precious name. Amen.